Just blanks, right? Welcome to the inaugural episode of Slaying the Unicorn. We're your hosts, Zach Miller and David Citron. And this is where we take a more realistic approach to technology and the industry behind it. We proudly step out of the tech circle jerk and read between the lines so you don't have to. Sure, we're cynical and we scoff at the tech echo chamber, but it's necessary if you don't want to believe in all the fake news you read from TechCrunch. So we're glad you joined us for this journey. We'll hop right into today's show. This episode is brought to you by Unicorn Jerky a t-shirt site that shares our love and disdain for technology. It's great for presents. David, what's your favorite shirt? Um, I'd say the, the shawarma as a service is kind of my favorite shirt. I feel like it really encompasses everything that SAS is all about. You know, just really disgusting old meat spinning on a spindle for hours and hours. But, but and can hours. you scale that? Yeah, I mean, if, if you take another spindle and put more meat on it, you could just do that again and again and again. You can get to like crazy scale. And remember, like, you know, if you can get to economies of scale, that's also great. You can have really cheap shawarma. So the whole SaaS model just works, in my opinion. But, you know, I'm not a SaaS expert. Where would I get one of these shirts, David? Well, I'm pretty sure they sell it everywhere. It's no. at www.unicornjerky.com. Oh, okay. Right. That's where I got it. So first up, we have our tech sack segment, where we jump in and discuss useless technology. And along the way, we may slay some sacred cows and unicorns. Uh, so what's our first story today, David? I think, uh, I think the thing that caught my eye this week was Coinbase. Um, obviously, they're doing very well with all the hype around cryptocurrencies. And it was ported in 2017. They did $1 billion in revenue, which you know I kind of found really interesting because the whole promise about cryptocurrencies and blockchain was cutting out middlemen and then comes in coinbase essentially a middleman for cryptocurrency transactions so what have you done here guys feel like i'm getting screwed here <laughs> i feel like the whole blockchain is that in in general anyway it's like hey let's disintermediate like every industry but we're just going to replace those little inter intermediaries with new ones like that's, exactly. that feels like what's happening exactly and people just don't understand that that the whole buzzwords that are thrown like yeah distributed decentralized no middlemen cutting costs that just doesn't work you're, you're getting screwed um somebody's cutting a piece off of you and that's just how business works so either you accept that or or don't i, I don't know i i just don't i i found it incredibly hilarious that the people that are making the most amount of money off uh, crypto transactions are, are just middlemen. So. Right, exactly. It's it's not just that someone's making money off decentralized. It's actually brokers again, which we thought was like right. sort of the lowest value uh, player in the entire stack. So I feel like the brokers are getting smarter, like the machines. Yeah, they moved up. They moved up a notch. And speaking of getting screwed, by the way, Ernst and Young. There was a Reuters article that quoted Ernst and Young study about um, money being either stolen or lost uh, on ICOs. Uh, I think it was something like 10% of almost $4 billion ends up, you know, has been stolen along the way. Um, surprising? No. I mean, I think all these ICOs are just basically targeting morons. It's, it's kind of the new binary forex uh, scams where people just don't really understand what they're buying into. They read some sort of, uh, I don't know, uh, offering memorandum or white paper, whatever you want to call it. And they just say, 
okay, this makes a lot of sense. I'm just going to invest my money in this, you know, Dogecoin, uh, that's basically a meme of a dog that became a $2 billion cryptocurrency. $2 billion. It's insane. Yeah. So I don't, I don't really understand how it's not more than $4 billion and why it's not 50% of all ICO money uh, has been stolen. So, you know what? I know when I signed up for like for my digital wallets and stuff like that, like there, you, you have to go through this whole sort of litany of, of check boxes saying like, understand that once you open this account, you are going to be completely nakedly targeted um, by all these spammers, all these fishers, like with made up websites just to try to get your money. And, and, and this money is unrecoverable at the end of the day, isn't it? Right. Yeah. It's totally, it's, it's just, it's gone. It's like gone into Oof. the internet and it's, you know, you're never going to see it again. See, I don't have that problem when I go and stuff my money in my mattress because nobody's asking me to check any boxes or do any validation. So I'm just, you know, that my money's safe. Or, you know, when I invest in, I don't know, gold or coffee. Nice. Uh, nice. WeWork. Now, you know, this week comes out. It's now the largest office occupier in central London. Is this revolutionary or is this just like it's a real estate play with a lot, bunch of buzzwords? I think it's just a real estate play that hired a pretty good interior designer. I don't really and a good PR that. firm, too. And a good PR firm. The whole thing of, like, uh, WeWork being a technology company is just a – it's a, a complete misuse of what technology means. I guess we can all just say, you know, I'm a technology person um, because I have a watch and a phone. So I, I don't really understand what the whole promise about WeWork is. And it's great. I mean, they're, they're first to market. They, they're basically a, a really good brand. But, you know, it's a commodity. They're all doing the same. You know, you, you can't spit without hitting a shared working space. So the fact that they're the largest occupier in central London of, of, the, of, of office space is is great but i don't think it's a revolution of anything it's just another asset management company yeah it's and it's like they build them like the whole sort of starbucks like um you know market uh, coverage ploy where like they just cover like every you know every square space within a certain neighborhood is is within distance of one of these things um it, is this a, is this a total bubble play also like what happens you know when when the tech bubble pops and some of the you know icing comes off the cake like is we work just a total like momentum play i mean I, i'm not sure I, I think people need offices in period the the the, the whole like office on demand type thing yeah i mean it, it it might actually be uh a good solution for people who just find themselves not being able to pay for for offices uh that they generally you know use um i don't i think like the fact that they're growing so fast and they're building more and more uh, facilities or opening more and more facilities it's just it, it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, eventually, it's going to stop. Uh, I don't know if a tech bubble burst is, is what's going to cause it. I think people are just going to realize it's just not economic for, economical for me to, to, to go and pay a crap ton of money for just to get some free beer and really nice wallpaper. Twizzlers. Don't forget the Twizzlers. Oh, and, and Twizzlers. Yeah. Well, I, I, so, I mean, it does speak to something t towards the, the changing nature of work in our, in our era, isn't it? I mean, sort of g the gig economy and people, you know, sort of, not necessarily tied down to one company, they're sort of free agents. Like, I mean, we work as sort of the right space for that type of economy. But why? But why is it we work? Why is it any of the other thousand places that or my basement or the local yeah, coffee local, shop? Local coffee shop, really. Like, I I sit in we work and I feel distracted because it basically became like a an open bar for anybody who has a friend who works at we work to come and just get shit faced uh, off the free beer and you know bother everybody and just make some noise no one's no one's carding anybody at the entrance to we work you just walk in like yeah i'm here for a meeting blah 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 so 
why is it WeWork that's revolutionizing the the office space uh, industry? I, I, I don't I don't know. They're just a brand. I yeah, agree. Feel- but but I know like as somebody who does a lot of freelance work, like it can kind of get lonely when you're working on your own. And I guess WeWork is sort of like an artificial artificial friends, maybe you want to call it, or sort of like a <laughs> life. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like your your tech family. Just that nobody likes you. <laughs> you love me, David, don't you? <laughs> so I love you. So speaking about the changing nature of work, um, Silicon Valley seems to have gotten soft lately, at least according to Mike Moritz of Sequoia. Um, definitely not as as hyped up as as the uh, as the employment base in China. What's going on right. there? Right. So he basically said that we all need to learn a lesson from Chinese companies how to treat our employees, which basically means lock them in a room until the work is done and pay them a dollar for it. Right. This uh, was through an editorial in the FT, right? Sorry, this was, he wrote an, an editorial for the FT. Right? Yeah, this, yeah, this was this was an op-ed. This was this wasn't this wasn't news. It was his opinion. the The problem is is that he's such a you know thought leader and a successful venture capitalist that he definitely made a lot of noise with this uh, with this type of opinion. Um, I personally, I, I disagree with most of what he says, but I do feel that, especially since like the whole millennial thing came into play where you know workplace needs to be engaging and you know you need to fulfill yourself personally and blah 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 it there's too much of an emphasis on what could we do for our employees and less on what can our employees do for us um well i agree so with I, that i just I, I don't know if i would hold up china as like sort of right, the beacon right. of, of... So, so the solution isn't uh, employ dictatorship uh tactics uh, in, in a startup company uh because that's that's just i mean forget the fact that it's illegal and, and, and immoral or, to some people i don't know if i think that it's immoral um but it's just it's it's pretty ridiculous that uh, somebody who basically reaped all the benefits from the t- the mentality that's being you know employed in Silicon Valley and the way employees are are treated and the success of the companies and basically says you guys are doing it all wrong just because China's experienced tremendous growth. I don't think you can tie a direct correlation between the success of Asian te- or Chinese tech companies because by according to the way that they treat their employees, it's just too different things that happen simultaneously that may or may not affect each other. Agreed. And and the outline ran a great sort of um, retort uh, to this editorial, you know, so here you have Mike Moritz, this, I just see a billionaire, he's probably a billionaire, uh, you know, talking about extolling sort of the virtues of, of this, this hardworking Chinese society um, and and basically belittling, you know, sort of the, the, the whining that we have here uh, in the U.S. Um, I just wanted to quote one thing. So uh, the outline had this sort of retort and says, Workers in California disgust me. They're reading this like between the lines. Their pathetic needs, like taking time off to ensure the health of a newborn baby, having time to relax and see one's family, and a desire to enjoy hobbies make them seem literally crazy to me. I refer to those desiring a life outside of work as, quote, unhinged, to demonstrate how alien the need to have such a balance is because I am a billionaire, and the concerns of a common person are beyond my understanding. What I truly can appreciate is wealth creation. <laughs> yeah, well said. Well said. Touche. Yeah. yeah. Well said, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Speaking of, um, you know, crazy companies raising money this week, uh, sort of for this, this, this molly coddling of, of the U S sort of workforce. Oh, I love this one. Cargo, right? Cargo. Great creative name, obviously. Awesome name. Did they get the, did they get cargo.com? I don't know. I would have loved to see if it was S cargo, you know? (laughs) Um, but so they raised five and a half million dollars for what? So basically, it's vending machines for Uber drivers. Not only Uber drivers, it's also for Lyft drivers and the rest Wait, of the guys. And for their clientele. 
And for, and for yeah. their drunk stone clientele in the back seat. Absolutely. That's really who it's for, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I remember taking an Uber once, uh, I think it was in New York, and the driver offered me a bottled water for free because he just wanted a higher ranking uh, as an Uber driver. So that's like customer service. And he just, you know, whatever, bought at, uh, at Costco for uh, $3, uh, 50 bottles of water, and he gave me one, which was awesome. But now, I mean, that's those, those days are, are gone now. Now you're a profit center. Now it's all about cannibalizing your your, your your customers and and really squeezing the last cent out of them because it's you know doesn't matter that Uber uh, employs the 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 peak hour rates and you get shit completely destroyed on how much you pay for your driver but now they're gonna also charge you ten dollars for a bag of peanuts. It's gonna be like the fucking going to the movies, right? So I so great, I got a cheap car ride, but it's gonna cost me thirty bucks all in for for the M and M's and the and the popcorn, right? Exactly, and the thing I don't really understand is. This whole thing of let's put a really cumbersome, stupid-looking vending machine in our car instead of Uber drivers just going to I don't know Walgreens or or, or wherever, whatever, what other convenience store they can find, buy some snacks and offer it to them for cash. Why would you, why would you, basically have to be uh, contingent or, or rely upon some sort of service like cargo to refill your vending machines and just take a percentage of the whole transaction? Just do it yourself. I don't understand this. <laughs> The scales. I feel like this is this another, a venture company? You know, I mean, this is a vending machine. It's not. It's worse than that. It's a moving vending machine. I, I, exactly. I, so, like, the, I think the vending machine industry itself is kind of, I don't know if dying, but it's definitely plateaued. Again, I'm not. I'm not an expert on veng, vending machine. You have economic. numbers to back that up, David. Oh, I don't know. Um, and that's <laughs> total bullshitting. But I may, may. I may be wrong. Maybe it's like a thriving, booming industry that's going to really take over the world. It's all cash. Uh, obviously, the next realistic step, or the, the next, you know, natural step, is to put vending machines in, in cars. It's actually run. a very complicated logistics problem, right? Like, how do you get the yeah. how do you get the food to the car while the car's on the move? Yeah. So, like, so so an Uber driver suddenly sees like, okay, I'm done. Uh, there's nothing left in my vending machine. What do I do now? Do I do I have to go to like some sort of big truck that has a vending machine in it and upload my car into the truck and then they refill the is it like a vending machine in a vending machine how does that work <laughs> i think it's interesting though as as uber and other ride sharing companies grow um the driver and the car becomes sort of a target for other like ancillary businesses so like you know i'm right. sure you've seen some of these like auto leasing businesses that are targeting like uber drivers right so um anything you can to like you know, eke a few bucks out of that seems to be like sort of a, a smart move at this point. But this this seems a little bit over over the top. Right. I mean, I mean, you know, to be serious for a second, McKinsey definitely predicts that the whole mobility space is going to completely change, and there are going to be a lot a lot of new business models are going to be introduced to the way we drive or you know the way we sit in cars when they drive for us. So whether it's that target co content at us or or whether it's you know advertising and whatever it could be. That I guess makes sense because you're essentially turning a car into one big smartphone. But now to kind of like have the whole logistic mess of installing aftermarket tailor-made vending machines and cars, it just seems like, how can you, is this another Juicero? I don't really get it. Um, I would definitely give this, this company by the end of the year to shut down. <laughs> I have one last question for the, and we'll tie, you know, we'll finish up the tech sack segment. Are there too many Indians on the internet? Uh, isn't that like a racist thing to say? <laughs> Well, there was this article this week, right? That, um, what that that I guess in India uh, has woken up to like sort of memes, um, and Indian people when they wake up send their entire address book a good morning message, right? Is that what's happening? Yeah, that's that's exactly what. So basically, 
the internet is suffering because Indians are actually polite to one another and appreciate, you know, saying good morning. So like, that's so just awesome. Bunch, we're just a bunch of bitter assholes, and no one cares about anybody. So, so we're saving that, you know, very important resources on the internet. We're not flooding the internet with our niceness. And then here come a bunch of Indians and start saying good morning and hello to one another, and we're just all complaining like, oh guys, can you cut it? You know, can you tone it down? You're clogging up the internet with your niceties. With your niceties. So, yeah. is there a solution for this? Uh, more internet? I, I don't know. <laughs> Need more internet. Um, I think I saw Google was coming up with apps that were sort of filtering out um, good morning messages and images. Um, but it's it's just funny that we need a technology uh, solution for people being nice to each other again. Next up, we have the short of the week, and this is the segment where we look at just some dumb fucking companies. Um, what do we have on the on the plate this week, David? Right. So so, so this week we have. Katera, which is a company that basically builds prefabricated houses um, and for some reason is considered a tech company. So, Zach, correct me if I'm wrong, but these companies have existed for a long time. Uh, yeah, we've been through a few real estate cycles with prefab houses. Right. So well, let's try to figure out what makes this company a tech company. Are they are they using computers? Yeah, they have some computers. You go to their website and they actually have pictures of computers. Oh, oh, there. oh! Yeah. They have a website. Okay, so yeah. so yeah. no, not just a website. Actually, I think they use software to design the houses. Did they? Oh, so okay. And buildings okay. and 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 buildings, multi-use buildings. Right, right. And, and other construction companies don't do that or have any of those things. Probably right? not. They probably just eyeball it or write it on paper. <laughs> yeah, they just like yeah, that, that seems that seems like a right angle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah let's hey. just put it up. Fuck the math. We don't need to <laughs> So they but they raised almost a billion from SoftBank. $865 million. $865 million. Now, so basically, it kind of seems to me that SoftBank raised a shit ton of money. What, $100 billion? That, that vision fund was like $100 billion. And they said to themselves, they, they sat like in a room and said, holy fuck, how are we going to find enough companies to invest this shit ton of money? <laughs> well, so, anything in the real estate industry would work, right? Yeah, so like, you know, let, you know, circling back to WeWork, which is also a not a technology company in the real estate space. So this is also not a technology company in the real estate space. I don't really understand. Again, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe like they use like voodoo or some stupid shit like that to make their houses a lot, a lot faster. Maybe they're like pre-healing or self-healing houses that can, <laughs> that can withstand hurricanes or- And, or, or and any poxes that uh, VCs throw at them. Yeah. I, so I, it's a prefab building company masquerading as a tech company. now. It could be a great business. I mean, like a lot of those companies are multi-billion-dollar companies. Very, they were very profitable. I don't know how they are today, but they've done very well. I mean, it could be a great investment. I'm sure it, it probably is. Again, I don't, I don't know, but to say that this is a tech company is like basically, I don't know, me saying that uh, you know I'm a technology person again because I have a watch. It's it's, <laughs> it's 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 just so stupid. You're basically calling tech companies. They're not tech companies anymore. You know what is a tech company? Am I going to just basically take a factory that uh, um, creates desks like one the one I'm sitting at and put a watch built into the drawer and said like okay we're a tech company now because we have a digital watch stuck in our drawer or I don't know put sensors that you know sense when I'm banging on the table and then you know log that into some sort of database and then using big data wood companies will know how to target me <laughs> for my favorite type of wood like that's stupid shit. So I, like, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in like that the investment meeting, right? Like, right. how do you pitch this as part of a tech a tech investment? I'm I'm asking where was that bitter asshole in that room saying, right. guys, 
You guys, isn't this? What are we talking about? We're talking about a, a Lego Lego houses here. Like, yeah, this is Lego. Why don't we just like you know buy Lego stock? Is it? I don't even know they're publicly traded. Whatever. Why don't we just go buy Lego? What? What? What the? Why don't we just go build a Harry Potter castle made out of Lego? This is so fucking stupid. Anyway, like you said, that you know, hundred billion in the bank. They've got to spend that money some way, and uh, you know, this takes up almost one percent of that. I'm sure there'll be some follow-ons as well. Yeah, I mean, definitely, and that that's just the seed round, right? Or uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. But uh, anyway, Cartera, that's the short of the week. In our last segment this week, which we call Crypto Crap of the Week, we look at what's happening in crypto land. If you thought Silicon Valley was a frothy place to spend your time, crypto is insane. We separate the chaff from the wheat and just talk about some insane things going on there as well. So, David, what is the crypto crap of this week? So, the crypto crap of this week is a company called My Big Coin. Wow. Uh, First of all, very creative name. Like, yeah. playing My Bitcoin, like it's sort of, that's like out of 2012, right? Actually, this is a 2012 company, I think. Right. So without getting into too much detail, because I'm going to let you do that, essentially what they did is they just stole a lot of money from a bunch of very stupid people and bought themselves pretty nice stuff. Yeah, I mean, this wasn't even really a coin. Um, it's, it, it seemed like it was kind of a sham from the beginning. It was part coin, part wallet, part scheme that um, if you let uh, my Bitcoin use your digital wallet online for processing, they would actually give you some money along the way. Like it kind of combined a lot of like the old scheme scam type things. Okay. Um, but it turns out like there was nothing really behind it. It was a couple guys in Vegas uh, and they basically walked away with six million bucks. Uh, the coins still ostensibly trade in other markets, but there's no real trading activity underneath. And the CFTC brought a, uh, you know, some type of ruling against them. Uh, they're going to go to jail. But I mean, you know, this up until this point, like people are still putting money into this thing. I mean, it's just and it, and from the on, it, there's nothing there. It's it's the website looks like it was built in 2009, like on GeoCities. <laughs> the funny thing is the way you described what they did. It, it sounds like of, any, any <laughs> other crypto. It reminds me, yeah, exactly. It reminds me of every like 90% of the crypto companies out there where you just throw a bunch of buzzwords, superlatives, just shove a bunch of, you know, nothing in there. And then you have, and then people just, you know, dump money on you. They're just throwing money at you. Here, take my money. I know I'm probably not going to see it any, again, it's just, it's never going to come back. And people just, they, they eat this stuff up. So, Question is, is, is what's next? Let's try to like think. What's the next ridiculous crypto of the of, of you know of our time? What what's gonna you know we had we like I said we had we had Dogecoin, which basically was somebody who wanted to spoof the whole concept of cryptocurrencies and made a cryptocurrency that was inspired by a meme of a really cute dog uh, that says stupid stuff. That was that 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 coin itself is worth over two billion dollars now. What's next, Zach? You know, if I knew that, I, I wouldn't be on this podcast with you, David. But the the, the, the point here is that I really think, uh, like as you were saying, there's no diligence going into these things. Um, and there isn't really a, a, like a third-party vetting service that can say, hey, this is legit. Sort of like the SEC does or even some of the public exchanges do in the States. Like you just – there's nothing there. And, and like you just have to be so wary of getting involved in any of these things. And meanwhile, these guys are making out like bandits. You know, they in the injunction, you can see like they bought art. They bought cars. They remodeled their houses. And like they were living the high life off of just free money that people were giving them with nothing – you know, with no oversight. Um, I think that will have to change obviously but if, if, we, if we want this industry to like mature into like a, a real industry. Like – even the whole idea of like digital wallets, like, you know, when you have a digital wallet for, for Apple Pay or Samsung Pay or whatever, Android Pay, 
like there's actually money stored in it. You can go to an account and if and if you lose it, like there's somebody to go back to like to trace it. Like you don't right. have that on the blockchain. Your your money is in digital form somewhere, you know, in in virtual in reality, right? <laughs> like you don't if it's gone, you're gone. Like it's gone. Like in and I don't think people understand sort of how risky that is. Yeah, that, that's the thing. You know, you're, you're hearing like these wonder stories about these crazy ICOs. Uh, I mean, there was a there was an ICO in in Israel where some entrepreneur raised, I think it was 160 million dollars for a blockchain-based phone. What does that even mean? Uh, <laughs> he got Leo Messi, uh, you know, football star from from Barcelona, to to sponsor the the ICO, and people just ran to it and just dumped money and I, I really don't understand like who, who's who's regulating this and you know it's funny because when you're asking who regulates re, who's regulating this the whole again the whole promise of blockchain and blah 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 is it's like beyond regulation whole, yeah yeah it's taking out the whole need for regulation because it's all it's all you know decentralized and there's no there's no way of fraud but <laughs> there is a way of fraud when you're when when your money just disappears. You know the, the coins are there. They're still they're still there. The, the smart contracts are still there. The the money that was tied to that was transferred to their account is gone. So I, I do think it's going to turn out to be more like crowdfunding. If you remember in the early days of crowdfunding, like I'm, I'm not talking about equity, but like reward crowdfunding, you also had a lot of scams going on there. And right. and and like Indiegogo and Kickstarter, they got smarter and said, hey, we're we're not going to we're not going to release all the money to the creators until they hit certain milestones. And so, you know, I th they'll obviously have to come from, from the public, you know, sort of demanding that from, from ICO creators. But I think we'll start to see that too. Like maybe some of the exchanges before coins start trading, they'll, they'll have to be certain milestones that, that, that the ICO creators have to hit before they just walk away with $160 million for uh, for a crypto phone. I, what does that even mean, by the way? <laughs> I, I don't even know. Like Make phone calls on the, does on, it, on the blockchain? Does it doesn't the blockchain have a lot of, you know, uh, processing limitations? So, like, how are you going to build a phone based on some technology that's nowhere near to be mature enough to support the sophistication that smartphones need today? What, also, why would you even need a blockchain-based phone? I, I don't understand. I, but, again, this came from an entrepreneur who uh, raised money for a company before that that was supposed to be the most secure phone in the world where he was selling it for $10,000 a phone. So he must, be no, he must know something that we don't. Right, part of his uh, shtick, I guess. Yeah, I guess um, it, the guy's name is Moshe Chogeg. If anybody wanted to know, uh, that that's that's the dude. Look him up. He's definitely making some noise in the crypto world now. And uh, I guess with that um, squealing death of a pig, uh, we mark an end <laughs> of our inaugural uh, podcast. So, David, it's been great talking to you today. Yeah, it's been great being here, Zach. Just want to mention again that this episode is brought to you by Unicorn Jerky, a t-shirt site that shares our love and disdain for technology. And it's great for presents. And, you know, if you have a friend, douchebag techie friend who you don't know uh, what to get him for uh, for his birthday or Christmas, uh, there's definitely some options on the website. It's www.unicornjerky.com. Peace out. Bye-bye. Welcome to the inaugural episode of Slaying the Unicorn. We're your hosts, Zach Miller. And David Citron. <laughs> I fucked it up. I'm sorry. We should just shut it down. Welcome to the inaugural episode of Slaying the Unicorn. We're your hosts, Zach Miller and... <laughs> sorry. I thought that would be a great outtake. If we did it like that.